Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, church. Good morning. We are awake. This is exciting. Good morning. Uh, I don't know if you guys know me. My name is Pastor Chris. My name is not Pastor Chris. My name is Chris. That would be a really great uh, thing if my name was Pastor Chris. It would be really uh, convenient. But my name is Chris Potter. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed, and I'm excited you're here uh, this morning. We are going to jump into our series called The Quickening in just a second. But before we do, uh, we want to celebrate this weekend. This is Memorial Day um, weekend. And uh, it's really easy, and I think a lot of us, even on social media, really easy to just jump right into our barbecues and our celebrations and our day off and everything else. But um, it's a day that we celebrate for a reason. Growing up, there was a sign on my parents' wall, um, a plaque, and it said the name Prentice B. Boykin Jr. My entire life. Prentice B. Boykin Jr., which was my dad's best friend in high school and who lost his life in Vietnam. And I'm thankful that there was this name, this plaque, this reminder that the freedoms that I experienced, and I didn't realize it at the time, but over time now I think I do a little bit better, um, the freedoms that we experience as a country and as a people and as a community, um, those do not come without sacrifice. And so this is a weekend that we celebrate that. So I'd just like to pray uh, over that as we um, begin today. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time and Before we begin on our work this morning, we stop and we see and we acknowledge that there are those in this room that have experienced what Memorial Day is all about. We have lost loved ones. We know friends and family that have lost loved ones. And so um, may you this weekend uh, enliven our hearts to see the stories of um, those that have served in the military, those that have been affected by those experiences, and may you be close to those where this weekend isn't just about a holiday or a barbecue, but it, um, it carries a weight to it. And so we, we stop and we celebrate that together um, as a community. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, everyone. So we are in the second week of our series called The Quickening. And and basically, Danny started this series last week, and we're going to continue it on today. And before we jump in, let's do just a little refresher on what that means. The word quickening means to excite, stir up, awaken, animate, activate, incite, galvanize, instigate, inspire, kindle, fan, refresh, strengthen, invigorate, reanimate, reactivate, revive, revitalize, resuscitate. All right? Y'all, you're all on the same page now? A lot of words? Psalm 119.93 says this, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. A quickening is also a medical term when, when a mother begins to barely feel the first flutterings of life inside of her. This is a quickening. And so what... What struck me this week is as we get together and we study God's Word, uh, this, this book right here is a collection of quickenings. It's a collection of stories of humanity over time interacting with God and wrestling through that. And, and we are blessed to lay witness to the stories of those 
that share through these, these interactions that they have with their creator, where they're quickened, they, new life is brought. Sometimes new life is a glorious and a beautiful thing, and other times it's a hard thing and it's well fought for. And so um, this series is about that. Now, Danny did it last week and I'll do the same. This is an invitation for you. So you don't have to participate in this. You can just watch it. But to participate this in the Kesed community, to participate in this over the next few months, will mean that you pay close attention to where God may quicken you, where he may stretch you, where he may be growing you. Years ago, uh, when I was a brand new youth pastor, I uh, made some friends with some people that planted a church in New Zealand. And so I went over there to visit them, and the goal was to have a week of vacation, and at the end of the week, I was going to preach at their church. And so I don't know if you guys have ever traveled overseas before, but um, sometimes you're a little bit tired afterwards. And so got on the plane here, flew through L.A., then over to New Zealand. I can't remember, 14, 15 hours, five movies later, right? We got there, and then when we got there, we had to wait for our friend to come, and then there's a three or four hour drive from the airport back to their house. And so I was tired, uh, didn't sleep on the plane. Um, any of you that can do that, Lord bless you. I wish I knew how. I can't do that. So I was tired. And so we get uh, to where we're going, which is my friend's, we go to her mom's house because she's got this beautiful lunch prepared for us. And I don't, have you ever been in this place before where like, you're trying with all of you, but all, you're too tired to like, care at all, right? And so it, all my, all my pretense of like, I'm going to put on this face right now, like I'm so blessed to be here is like gone from my face, right? It fell off my face first and now it's just nowhere in my body and I'm, I'm trying everything I can. My eyes are drooping. I'm tired, and I'll, but I'll never forget the experience. We sat down, right? We sat down, and this wonderfully loving mother looks me in the eyes, and as I'm really tired and just want to go to sleep, she says, so, what's God doing in your life, right? And I was like, first of all, I don't know how to answer that. I just want to, like, I want to be like, he's, Direct me to a bed. That's what I want right now. Um, but that's always stirred in me because I remember I showed up as this kind of like preacher, uh, spiritual authority, and this wonderful woman asked me this question, and it's always stirred me and even convicted me. I didn't have an answer. I could tell you what I was doing. I could tell you the stuff that I was trying to accomplish. But if... When she just looked me in the eyes with love and just said, tell me what's going on in here. Like, what's he doing? How is he moving you forward? How is he quickening you? I didn't have an answer for that. And so this series, the goal is that we would move toward this and that we would move away from not knowing what that is and that we'd pay really close attention to just what God is doing uh, in our lives. Today, we are going to be talking about the subject of faith. Each week, we're going to be talking about a subject, and that comes with it, uh, a symbol. Last week, Danny talked about um, the idea of being unmade, um, and that was symbolized by a broken heart. And this week, we're going to be talking about faith, symbolized by praying hands. Now, how you see faith says a lot about how you see God, right? Let me say this again. How you see faith says a lot 
about how you see God. The way in which you're to interact. When I say the word faith, whatever that, uh, whatever that invites you into a behavior or the way in which you're to show your faith in this world, that actually says a lot about who you think God is and his character and his nature. About 15 years ago, uh, at this very place, I was going to Clark College. Any, any penguins here? Yes. A few, some of you are like, I guess, like, I was a penguin, right? I was going to school here at Clark College, and I was a brand new baby Christian, right? Brand new baby Christian. So I came with all the excitement and all the stuff and all the God's doing stuff in my life, and I don't understand why you guys haven't all just changed the world and told everybody about Jesus yet, but I'm going to go do it. That was where I was at, right? And so, but I didn't know very many Christians at all, and I happened to know the girls that sat right next to me uh, in one of my classes, she was a Christian, right? And one day I got to class, and she wasn't there yet, and right before the class started, she came in in like a huff, like, just kind of putting her stuff down and everything. And you know that kind of way that people will put their stuff down where they really just want you to be like, what's going on, right? But they won't actually say it, right? And so I was like, what's going on? And she was like, oh my gosh, the entire way here, I was on E, Right? I was just praying that Lord would give me enough gas all right, to get here. All right? And again, this is naive baby Christian Chris. So I was like, is that how it works? <laughs> like, like when I'm on E, I can just pray for some gas and he'll spritz a little in there? <laughs> like where, hold on, does it just work with the gas thing? Does it work with rent? Right? Does it work like... And I promise that I didn't understand the structure, and, it, and that always stuck with me, like, why we use language like that? Like, was there an expectation of faith that actually said, I'm praying and I expect God to put gas in my car, because here's the cool thing, here's the cool thing. If, I, if that's true, and I prayed for more gas, and I run out of gas, whose fault is it? His, right? Let's play that game, shall we? Like, that's awesome. I want to just keep asking him for stuff. And when my rent isn't paid, when I forget to pay the cable bill, when I, whatever, right? Oh, man, God didn't. I really thought uh, he was going to move mountains for me, right? I really thought, I believe and I trusted you, Lord, right? And so this series is this conversation to go, could it be, could it be that there are some areas in your life that you've actually put faith into God that he's going, I never asked you to? Right? Could it be that you've adopted a language, you see God in a certain way, and you're asking him to move in your life in a certain way that, that this book never actually promised? Right? And could it be that we need to calibrate and align just where we put our faith? How you see faith says a lot about how you see God. And when the dust clears, and in the quiet of your own heart... What kind of God do you believe in really? When the dust clears and in the quiet of your own heart, what kind of God do you believe in really? This series is about slowing down enough to answer that question. I am blessed to be in an awesome Rooted group, one of our, uh, our discipleship ministry here at Kesed called Rooted, and we are in week eight right now, and I'm, I'm in this great group. And one of the people in my group, my good friend Carla, uh, a couple of weeks ago, she brought a book uh, that was near and dear to her heart to our rooted group. And it was a book that was like 40, 50 years old 
of children's prayers, like literally like their prayers. And I thought it was so special. I wanted to share a few of these with you as we look at how do we interact with God in a way that we're not just we're not just sharing with like a system or a religion, but we're actually talking to a person. And I think kids are probably a really good place to start with that. So I wanted to read a couple of these to you. Dear God, count me in. Your friend, Herbie. Dear Mr. God, <laughs> how do you feel about people who don't believe in you? Somebody else wants to know. <laughs> a friend, Neil. Dear God, I love how like the last one was all straight, right? And this is like kind of really, and then this one's not, and you'll see by the end of it why. Dear God, I wrote you before. Do you remember? Well, I did what I promised, but you did not send me the horse yet. What about it? <laughs> Lewis. I like Lewis. Lewis is like me. Dear God, if you do all these things, you are pretty busy. Now, here's my question. When is the best time I can talk to you? I know you are always listening, but when will you be listening hard in Troy, New York? <laughs> Sincerely yours, Alan. Dear God, do you get your angels to do all the work? Mommy says we are her angels, and we have to do everything. Love, Maria. <laughs> My hope is that we would develop a faith that is not so much defined by what we believe, but in whom we trust. See, children, these children that are writing here are writing to a person. They're not worried about uh, the grammar as much. They're not worried about all the, the ways in which you're supposed to say it. They're just interacting with a person who's listening. They're trusting that God is listening. And so that's how they speak. Right? They haven't been bogged down by a lot of the rules that we have around here of when you get to say what you say and can I do that right now and what, what's, what's acceptable. And so my goal today is a, a little bit of a returning to that. An honesty with our God. To do so, we're going to dive into a story that we generally don't tell in May, right? Into the beginning of what many of us would call the Christmas story, right? I want to give a little bit of background for this, and we're going to read a little bit of the text. Um, at the beginning of the book of Luke, you see these two interactions that two different people have, right? You have Zechariah and you have Mary. And both of these people are visited by the angel Gabriel. Right? And Gabriel comes and he comes to Zechariah and he tells, and Zechariah is a priest, so he is like the orderly one, right? If anyone knows all the rules and what to do, he's literally uh, burning incense as the, the angel visits him. He knows what to do. Angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him that his wife is going to be with child. Now, for any of us, this would be a really exciting thing, but uh, he's up in years. His wife is up in years. And so this is not an expectation that they have. This kind of blows them away. And this, this angel says a lot of wonderful things about this young baby that they are to name John and about the things that he will do and experience in life. And Zechariah responds with a few words. All right, we're going to put them up here. It says, Zechariah said to the angel, 
How can I be, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Which, by the way, really good husband stuff. I'm old, she's well along in years, right? (laughs) Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So this is one response. And then later, about six months later, this angel Gabriel comes and visits Mary. And we know this story really well. And says that you're going to be with child, Mary. That you are blessed on this day. And Mary, in her young age, is like, wait a second, I'm getting married? And that whole baby thing happens after marriage? I don't know a lot, but I know that, right? And so, but she has a, a very similar response that I think you're going to see the difference of. It says this. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. There's these two different responses that happen. Zechariah says, How can I be sure this will happen? And Mary says, how can this happen? Only a few words different, but miles apart. The first posture says, cool, I'm going to stand right here until you give me a little bit more evidence, and then I'll start my walking in your direction. And Mary sits in anticipation and probably fear, and is like, how are you going to do this? Right? And what these stories are telling us is that um, we have these two ways that we can respond in faith. There's a difference between faith and certainty. As I was studying this week, um, it was really really beautiful that, and I'd not seen this before, that the opposite of faith, you know what the opposite of faith is? I thought it was doubt, right? But the opposite of faith is actually certainty. The opposite of faith is certainty. Now, this is hard for us because a lot of us who grew up in different churches, this was not exactly the message that we were given. It was the more certain we were of different dogmas and doctrines and religious things and the way that we ordered our theology, the more that we could show that and share that and the more that we came to church with God is good all the time, all the time God is good, right? That is our posture. That is what we do. That, that showed to this world, right, that I'm certain, and that means my faith is big, right? I have a big faith. The way that I show that is with my certainty, right? There's a problem with that is that it's not biblical. We see story after story in the Bible of a person, right, Oftentimes, we see religious leaders rebuked for their certainty and their posture of not questioning or not even being in a place of wonder and going, how are you going to do this, God? They know exactly how it's supposed to do, how it's supposed to be, how we're supposed to learn, how we're supposed to grow, what we're supposed to believe. We have some work to do in the Christian faith because some time ago, we really started doubling down on this idea of certainty. Right? There was a point where, where 
some of the things that we believed were being challenged by the rest of this world. And so we really started to put up some really clear boundaries about who's in and who's out, right? And we started to shut down the kind of language that you could use inside of the church. And the church all of a sudden was not a really safe place to wrestle anymore. It was a place to be certain. But there's a problem because when freedom is lacking, then love will be fleeting. When you turn down the freedom of someone that has in your faith to wrestle with their God to move forward and their faith to not understand, when you turn down the freedom that they have, you make robots. You make people that do what they're supposed to do. But then the problem is, is we're not robots, are we? And there's a point in our faith where we, we can't live that way anymore. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's certainty. I wonder what you walked in certain of today. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to doubt everything, right? When God reveals something to us, there are so many promises of the scriptures that we are to receive, right? And we were to wrestle in, and once we come to their centers, that we are to proclaim them with faith. But there's other ones that we have to admit that we're not there yet. I was talking to a friend this week and I asked the question, who do you trust the most in this world? Who do you trust the most in this world? And she said a couple of people, but one was her mom. And she had some really eloquent questions. And I said, tell me more. What do you trust in her? And she said, well, I trust that my mom will be there for me. I trust that my mom will assume the best of me. I trust that my mom knows my heart and my person. And I trust. I trust that she's a safe place for me to be vulnerable, that I don't have to be all put together with her. And I said, those are awesome. I said, do you trust her to change your oil? And she goes, well, well no. She'd be the first one to admit that that's not, that's not what she's supposed to do. She knows, she, she'd, she'd say, trust me, I know where to take um, my car to get the oil changed, but I'm not the person to trust with that. And I think as we unpack today a little bit, we're going to see a God who's who's walking with his people, and when I say his people, it means you and I individually, each one of us, and collectively. And it's saying, if we can interact more than we are, if we can find a way to have more conversations as these children had, honest conversations, I, I'll show you deeper what exactly I've promised you in this world. And so this is the really good thing, right? And you can know what's your responsibility, and we can know what his is. If you've ever spent any time in the Psalms, there's actually three different types of Psalms, okay? There's the first type, which is the everything is fine type, all right? You can find these ones on our coffee mugs, on our bumpy bumper stickers, right? Everything is fine, God is great, stay the course, right? These are, these are our favorite ones, right? There's a second type of Psalm. These are the things are terribly wrong and I am at the end of my rope, but thank you, Lord, for coming to my rescue or I know you'll come to my rescue soon, Psalms, okay? It's where a lot of us live and we like to live in those, those two places. Everything's awesome. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? Or I haven't seen the way out yet, right? God's opening a door for me kind of language. This is great. But then we like to forget that there's a a third type of psalm where things are terribly wrong. I'm at the end of my rope 
And to make things worse, O Lord, you're nowhere to be found. So what do we do when we get there? See, I believe that doubt is the mechanism through which faith actually evolves. That before you can get a new belief, you have to question your old beliefs. Then doubt often means that you are exploring in your faith. And I believe that it takes a lot of faith to doubt. Now, what do I mean when I say doubt? I mean the willingness. One of my favorite theologians, right, talks about this idea of biblical faith being the willingness to walk in darkness. When God nudges you forward, have you ever felt that before? That you're supposed to go forward with something in your life or move towards something, and then you were like, yeah, but I'd love a little more confirmation um, with that. Right? Biblically, we talk about laying out a fleece. and get, I want to get a little like, I want to I get your name on the, the contract there, God, and then I can hold you to it. Right? But often that's not how our God works with us. He's inviting us into a relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says this, For we walk by faith and not by sight. That we are called as Christians to walk forward into what God has called us into, and sight isn't promised us. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, I love how this reads in the message version. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. But we have a problem. And our problem is that church is too often the most risky place to be spiritually honest. I wonder if there's any questions in your heart that you're not allowed to ask. That you feel like, if I ask this, if I question this, if I move forward in this, there's, there's a risk I may be kicked out of the team. Right? I want to start, and I want to make a, a, a pretty bold declaration that Cassid is going to be a place that's safe for doubt. Now, we don't want to stay in that place forever, but often this is the only mechanism through which we can grow into our true faith, a real faith. I think when you read the Bible and you see the word faith, I think for a while you would do well to just switch that word from faith to trust. Right? Faith to trust. Because that makes it more personal. Faith isn't a question. Faith isn't a what question, but a who question. What do I, what faith am I putting into this God that's real and in my life? But this is hard to do. And so I want Kessit to be this place. So I'm actually going to put my money where my mouth is, right? I'm going to put my email up on here. And not that I have all the answers, because I definitely do not. But the one thing I do know how to do is be a safe place for people that are doubting. And so you, if you sit here in these seats right now, if you're listening, right, later on in our video or in our podcasts, and you have doubts in your soul and you don't feel safe to ask them about theology, about wrestling, about the way that we gather as a community, about yourself, about your identity, about who God is, right? Chris P. at KessaChurch.com, I'll at least be safe for you to ask, right? I'm not promising an answer, by the way, right? I'll promise to, to get in the wrestling with you, and then I'm trusting that our God's going to meet us in that wrestling. 
Now let me tell you why I feel safe to do this. I came to faith at 21 years old. I shared, I've shared my story a bit before. Um, and I was passionate and I dove into every ministry and everything that I could possibly do. And within two years I was a pastor, which by the way shouldn't be what happens. But I had all the passion and I had all the time that I gave and I had everything else and I cared and I had a big heart and so I dove right in and I did exactly what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I, I attended all the Bible studies, I did all the stuff. And then the other thing you're supposed to do in your church was I found a beautiful young woman and I married her, right? And we had a beautiful young boy. And I did this whole church thing and I was a youth pastor and I was going to hospitals with kids and I was showing up to games and I was doing all the Christian stuff. And, but I had this marriage that was very turbulent, incredibly turbulent. And never for one second did I doubt that God would heal that marriage. I told everyone, right? When there were rocky times, I'd tell everyone, God is going to heal this marriage. I trust it. I believe it. I have faith in God, right? And I threw that out in front of me as if I declared it, right? Some of us do that. I declare it in Jesus' name that this is going to happen. This marriage will be healed. And all the faith, all the trust, all the whatever you're supposed to do as a good Christian, But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. I found myself in the middle of a divorce that I didn't want, that I didn't know how to make sense of. And a few weeks after I learned that that was happening, I was blessed to end up, um, because I, I didn't know how to make sense of it, I went to the beach with family and... Um, was kind of in a state of shock and not sure what to do. And one of the days that we were there, I asked my mom, and I got up really early, and I said, hey, can you watch my son? I'm going to go to the beach, because the beach has always been a spiritual experience for me. It's always been. I look at the ocean, and I'm reminded how small I am. I'm reminded that there's a God that put all this together, right? that I'm not capable of doing that. And so I drove to the beach early in the morning, and there's nobody out there, and it's kind of foggy a little bit, but you could still see and I went and I took my shoes off and I just walked barely to where the, the waves were just touching my toes and my feet just a little bit. And I did the good Christian thing. I prayed the first, um, the first psalm prayers. And I said, I don't know what's going on, God, but I you're good. You're good. I trust that you're good. And then the more I stayed there, I turned into the second psalm prayers, and I was like, God, I don't know what's going on. I trust that you're going to give a way out. But as the water came in, and it, I felt it on my feet, there was this thing rising up inside of me, knowing that that wasn't honestly how I felt. And with a bit of boldness, and I think at this point I would call bravery now, I looked up and I looked at the ocean, which represented this creator God that I loved and that I trusted. And I yelled, do your job. Because I trusted him. I was doing my job. He was supposed to do his job. I was loving teenagers, and he was supposed to come in and zap this marriage back to where it was supposed to go. But he didn't. He didn't. 
Now, over the last five years of my life, I've realized he never promised he would. I searched, I promise. I tried to find a promise there. He never told me he would. And I put a responsibility that was on me onto him. And he's been so gracious and kind over the last five years to teach me that. To teach me clearer and deeper just exactly what he has promised for my life and what exactly he has called me to participate in. And that we are to co-create this beautiful life together. And the one thing that he's told me is through this time, through this doubting, that has become more and more safe. Which is why I want to create a space for others to wade into those really, by the way, really shallow waters, right? Um... He's reminded me that no matter how deep the doubting is, when I trust that he's listening, I'm held. That I am held. That there's so many stories in this room of people who trusted God to do something. But because, and then it didn't happen, but because we learned to be good Christians, we don't, we've never gone to that next level to actually tell him how we feel because we, we think that we're going to get kicked off the team if we do so. I can just share from my own testimony that that wasn't the case for me, that I was given all the jerseys. I was invited to all the parties that God in. I actually found it got in that space. Right? I went from being a do-it-all, like a do-goody Christian to actually like a human being. You are held. This is the promise of the scriptures. You are held no matter if you bring the doubt. And I, my prayer is that we would be, we'd be brave enough to bring whatever doubt you have. Now, some of you are in this room. If you've already done this, and this is great. Here's what I need. I need you to keep telling the stories of when you did. right? Because you come off like you never did, by the way. Especially seasoned, experienced folks in this room. You come, you come off like your toes have never touched the water. But they have. And so I need you to find people and share those stories and sit in the place that comes alongside them and says, I, I know that this is scary for you right now and I know that you don't see God, but he is there. Let me just tell you the story and let me, let me share my own life as an offering for you. But don't give answers, right? Just join them in the wrestling. Where does your faith have a border? What is the area in which you either, the, I think there's two reasons why our faith has borders. One, we have a fear border, right? We're afraid that we might get kicked off the team, so we don't ask the question that's really on our soul, and we wait for places where no one's on the beach, right? Many of us need to go find a beach where we can talk, say what we really want to say to this God. Or we have a pride border. We have it all figured out. We, all the lines, all the, they're straight, Right? They're right where they're supposed to be. So I don't, I don't need to wrestle with God. I got, I got all the answers. Right? The problem with that is you might not have all the answers for God, but you're no good in this community because you, 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 you don't give off any air of I'm with you. Right? You give off the air of we'll be together when you get your stuff together. Right? And so to close our time today, we're going to celebrate communion. And I want to do this in a way that hopefully quickens us. Hopefully awakens our soul to say we have a God that we serve 
that as we bring our faith, the best thing we can do when you come in here on Sunday morning, you hold your faith in one hand. I hope you have an equal portion of doubt that you're able to put on the ground and say, Lord, I give this to you. This is what I believe about you. And you tell me what to pick up on the way out. Right? It's not just my way that I learned in my church, in my denomination, in my place. Right? I'm interacting with you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, speaking about Jesus and about the way in which we celebrate communion together, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the covenant, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And again, I'm not going to let you just go into what you've always done when we do communion. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. What is Jesus asking when he says, do this in remembrance of me? What is he calling you to do? Is your job just to remember that he existed, that there are stories where there's this guy, Jesus, and he, he healed and led some disciples? Do we just remember that he was? Right? I think it might be something deeper than that. I think he knew that when we take the bread, bread and we take the drink, that we are to open ourselves up and participate into something deeper and say, Lord, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in my life? Where are you, what are you moving me towards? What are you nudging me towards? What are you moving me out of? What are, we, what are you calling me to? So I wanted to read something to you, and then we're going to receive communion together that maybe requires you to look a little bit differently at this. And what I'm asking is you to find yourself in this. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, could he be saying, do to others what you would have, done, have them do to you? And so place yourself in the shoes of others. Open your heart to understand people from different beliefs, convictions, countries, and even political parties. Do this in remembrance of me. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And see the humanity in the faces of those that have wronged you. And seek not to get evil or even merely to tolerate them, but instead lift up their needs to your Father in heaven and do this in remembrance of me. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stay aware of how much time and energy and anxiety is spent on material things. Rest in the fact that we are merely managers of everything that we have and freely give. Do this in remembrance of me. Do not exalt yourself or your perfectly ordered beliefs and theology. 
stay in wonder and a posture of learning and childlike curiosity and do this in remembrance of me. Do not worry about your life. Realize there is a difference between awareness and anxiety, and anxiety robs the blessing of what is present right now. Realize that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to not live under the power of worry. Do this in remembrance of me. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor and love yourself. And in so doing, allow God's liking us to reach the place where it seems impossible to like ourselves. And do this in remembrance of me. My prayer is that you would find yourself in that. I know that there's an invitation there somewhere. So I'm going to pray. Our team's going to pass communion. Our team's going to lead us in worship. And your job is to take communion when you feel ready. But don't miss this opportunity to doubt. It's a really freeing thing. Heavenly Father, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We receive this communion together as a family in remembrance of you, but we recognize that that remembering may be different for each one of us, but we invite it in, Lord. And so in this time we seek you, we move towards you, and we know that we are helped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.